This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Friends From Work. I'm your host, Robbie Earl, here with co-host Kyle Sconewill. hey Now this is a podcast about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it was a podcast really inspired by the film Endgame, which has obviously been out for a few months. But Kyle and I were talking, and we were thinking that really before we go much further in this, uh, the one thing that certainly makes sense is for us to just take a second and talk about Endgame. I... Need to start with just saying I loved it so much, Robbie. I hated it. I, you hated it? <laughs> no, I what? loved it. I thought it was no, perfect. Yeah, yeah, no. It's, I, uh, so I saw it four times in theater so far. Same. And it's interesting because every time, you know this, how this goes, every time you watch it, you pick up something new. I think what happened for me the first time I saw Endgame, I was building it up in my head so much that I'm, you're almost like watching it like nervous of what's going to happen. Oh, Absolutely. Like, I, I there's just this fear that was unfounded, but I'm nervous. That like after all these years I invested, I don't want this movie to let me down, right. and then I'm gonna have to like explain that to people forever. Yeah, I no. was really not. So you're almost like nervous. You oh know no, mean? I remember that exactly. I, I remember kind of having this. I was in the middle of a pretty stressful period work wise whenever this movie was coming out, and I I remember thinking I'm more stressed about Endgame potentially being <laughs> bad than I am about like the actual things in my life that I should be stressed about. And it's just because like it, there was such a buildup and the expectations were so high. I, I was like on edge the whole time that it was just like I that something bad was going to happen. And yeah, the same exact thing you're saying. I was going to end up having to go home and tell my friends, you know, have, have to be a, an apologist for Endgame. You know, I think we have to take a pause and just comment on how unfounded those nerves were. I mean, the Rousseau brothers have never let me down, first of all. Right. But, dude, have you ever just stopped and thought about what they're pulling off as a whole, Marvel as a whole, and how insane it is? I mean, even think about the practical nature of having to get this many actors on board. Well, and right. not only on board, you have to get, you have to convince them that, hey, you're going to give me like the next 10 years of your life, like your career. That's insane. Right. And they did it. It's well, just never really, as far as I know, this has never happened before. As, no, no, no. A, I, like a 12 year long story, basically all coming to a head. So that's where those nerves come from. You know? <laughs> right, right. Well, and on the flip side, I think it's interesting because all of the people that were at 
just like I mean the the funeral scene, but also like if you look at like Robert Reffer showing up at Avengers Tower, like people that are just insanely prestigious actors. Michael Douglas is right. like making a cameo, right? Uh, yeah, all of these, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer. It's like these are all people that Marvel has gotten to show up in this movie. You're right. It really is super impressive that they've been able to put all this together. So that was my kind of first time watching it, Fears. Then by the second time, the emotions really hit me, finally. And then on the time three and four, leaving the theater, this is what stuck out to me. I think I texted you this like as I was leaving. The last 45 minutes, especially that movie, are literally perfect. From the time time that they snap and bring everybody back to the very end with the funeral is just cinematic gold oh it's amazing that moment right before thanos ship crashes through when mm. ant-man is kind of watching the birds outside the window such a good moment very I, I feel like it's not a moment that i've talked about with many people but it's one that i really love the shot of hulk's face getting covered by a shadow yeah right as before they get bombed is so cool so cool so yep. happy of the birds and then this dark shadow and then all of a sudden just all hell breaks loose. Um, oh, my second so takeaway much. is that I know I love it so much. My second takeaway is that the Rousseau brothers were obviously very careful in not letting these characters get stagnant and right. advancing them. You know, in some ways, I think Iron Man and Cap story, although it's amazing, it's a little more obvious that you know eventually they're going to swap places. You know, because right. Cap kind of started as like the guy who follows every order, can't do anything wrong. Right. So obviously, you kind of take him from a, a guy who starts getting a little jaded, starts questioning things. Right. So it makes sense that by the end, it's almost like Rogue Cap. Which side note, it makes my heart so full that like they chose him to be in like his original suit with the shield for the last fight. Right. Obviously, maybe the coolest one of the coolest shots in the whole movie is him facing the whole army. Right. And he's got the old suit on. He's totally destroyed. He's about to die. And even though he's by himself, he's still gonna like just go do it. Yep. So I gotta love it. But what I was gonna say is Thor and Hulk, on the other hand, I feel like they're like where to take their characters was not as obvious, right? Because like when you think of Thor, you think of like I am God of Thunder, you know, long hair hammer guy. Right. But I know for a fact, like Chris Hemsworth before Ragnarok was getting a little like tired of that. Like it was a little stale to him. Right. And he had kind of went to the director of that movie and said, Hey, uh, we need to take this character somewhere. And the same thing actually went with Mark Ruffalo and the Hulk. He went to the Rousseau brothers after Ragnarok and said, here's an idea, you know, instead of the two personality thing, maybe Banner merges them into professor Hulk. My point is those were obviously two really bold and somewhat controversial to some people choices in the movie that I ultimately loved. And it's easier to love it when you think of it through the, like the lens of these characters have to grow somewhere. Right. And we would actually hate it probably if it was just typical Hulk smash guy. You know what I'm saying? Right. No, totally. And and I think, you know, it's funny and this is all in hindsight. um, But uh, looking back at all the Thor movies, even I, I think that, you know, and I guess it's Kevin Feige because there's been a different director for every Thor film. Um, but they've done such an amazing job of of doing what you're saying, the kind of like less obvious, but also like really great route of character development where if you look at it, Thor, the entire first Thor movie, right, is about how Thor wants to be king and he wants to be, you know, like 
a big war hero and it's like he's super brash and overconfident and whatever. And then, you know, the second Thor movie, um, he's kind of at the spot where it's like he's sort of doubting whether or not he, you know, like the throne is what he wants because it's like he's torn between the, like the throne and earth and whatever. And then in Ragnarok, it winds up being the thing where it's like, he's finally kind of reached this point of, of fulfillment where like, he's ready to be a King. Yeah. I was going to say interesting side note is like, he finally kind of embraces it and then it all goes horribly right, wrong. Right. Yeah, you know I mean? Right. And so then I think what's, what's really interesting is by the time you get to the end of Endgame and that scene that he has with Valkyrie, where it's like mm-hmm. at it's like the the juxtaposition of that from first movie Thor. It's it's again mm-hmm. this like amazing journey where it's like you go from this like really ridiculously good looking, like jacked up long hair guy that like is about to become king and wants it and thinks he deserves it, to this guy that's just like been totally defeated over and over again and now is finally kind of at peace with like letting all that go well and that's what i would say to anybody who had a complaint about like fat depressed thor is that like it actually makes more sense that he you know turns into that because all those things you just said like he's literally lost everything at this point and on top of losing his mom his dad his brother his planet his people on top of all that he like basically has lost his confidence slash will to keep going. Right. It makes more sense that way. And so I feel like the more you think about it, the better it is. In fact, I would argue that Thor's like depression ends up being like a really pivotal thing in Endgame and something I love. Like what an awesome portrayal of that to me. I know how first like it's funny and it was funny to me too. Like for the first like it's comic relief, but then like about 30 minutes into it, you start realizing like, wow, this is actually a really good portrayal. I've told you this before. My favorite scene that kind of where that comes to climax is like when they are about to decide who has to snap their fingers to bring him back. And that acting where he's like, it has to be me. Like, please let it be me. Like it's like this desperation to do something right because he's failed so many times in the last, you know, five years or whatever. No, I mean, I so agree. Also, like, I mean, I, I just, I think it gets really emotional and it would be really like what I, what I thought about after I think my second, my second time of seeing Endgame, um, I thought back to that scene in Infinity War whenever he and Rocket are in the pod together. Right, one of the best. And, oh yeah. And, and Rocket's, you know, he asks something like, you know, I could lose a lot. What happens? I mean, personally, I could lose a lot. <laughs> right, 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 right. When he's like, you know, what happens if you can't beat Thanos? And, you know, Thor's like, well, well, yeah, he's like, well, what else could I lose? And it's like, you see that he still had a lot to oh, lose. Oh, I thought like, you were going to say, like, he, he can't beat me. Remember that? Like, there's like an overconversation, like, oh, oh yeah, well, he can't yeah. beat me. And then it's like, well, he already did. Well, he won't beat me twice, you know? Right. <laughs> but it's funny, right. but then well, there's like this other yeah. layer, though, you know, of like overcompensating right. for this hope he doesn't have. I mean, I yeah, just everything that they Thor is a character that I just I I love where they took him in Endgame because the scene at the beginning with Thanos where he just like takes his head off is like is everything that like classic Thor should want and need 
and that it's this like act of kind of like violence and vengeance and it's kind of like badass and then he's like all right i'm like you know i did it but like it just leaves it's so him, unfulfilling yeah it leaves him like totally hollowed out and and i just i i, I yeah i i feel like where they took him in Endgame was so like rich and i think i think it was it would have been cheap for them to just like you know like i i know you know there were talks about him just kind of reverting to normal mm-hmm. thor at some point in the movie rather than like staying as like fat sad thor right. the whole time but I, it's like you know i i i don't know what'll happen in future movies i assume that thor will kind of like go back into another version whatever that could look like but i i don't like i, I again going back to what we were saying earlier i think what makes these movies different from Marvel comic books, from Marvel TV shows, from other Marvel movies in the past, is that like the things that happen, especially in these later films, have actually started having consequences. Right. I think that's one of the reasons why the later films have been better. You know, I think you and I have talked about like I think it took a while even for the MCU to figure that out. Because I think for a while I specifically in the early talked films, about deaths, like that they didn't have a right. lot of significant deaths. And I get why they don't want to. Every character you kill is another story you can't tell. Right. But like for me, who's not a comic book guy, just a movie guy, I care just about like the story of it. And so there's a certain point, and you know, I think it's probably around like Iron Man three, where you're like, okay, somebody has to pay the consequences at some point. Otherwise, I'm eight years into this and nothing's really bad. You know, what I mean, right. you always convince me. So, but they have done a really amazing job these last few years, right, of making us feel those consequences. And yeah, it kind of sucks at times because, like, there's part of me that is obsessed with Thor and wants to see him as Jack Thor taking right. it to Thanos's army. I get that. But the the more mature part of me is like, well, here's the deal. It makes more sense story-wise, and it's a more beautiful story for it to have an ending, even if it's painful, and for him to have growth, even if it's not exactly what you think you wish he had had. Right. Let's talk about this. Another thing you said to me that I found fascinating. You know, we talk so much about ahead of time, like what's this movie going to be about? How are they going to make this movie, you know, three hours long? And you kind of said this to me on the phone. You said, you know, they really made the movie a lot of people thought they were going to make in the first 30 minutes. Right. I mean, it's funny because, yeah, all of these theories that we all had about, okay, they're going to they're gonna all hunt down Thanos and then Captain Marvel's going to come and it's going to be this really cool thing where they're able to overcome him. Like, that was what we thought the whole movie was going to be. And yeah, that's they they play through all of that, right? And on top of that, we're like, oh man, Tony's stuck out in space. Like they're gonna have to, you know, spend all this time getting Tony back. Like really, every string that that we thought needed to be tied up, or every thread that we thought needed to be tied up, they tied up in the first yeah 20, 30 minutes of the movie, and then it's just like from then on none of us had any idea what was coming, which was amazing. But it's like, I kind of love that because in a way, to to the people that wanted a different kind of final Avengers movie, that kind of was that for them, right? Like, you get the moment of Thor being, you know, like angry, you know, strong Thor going in and doing what like Thor does. And you get the, like the Avengers together tracking down Thanos and beating him. It's like, but then it's like, it's not, 
in a way, like to get to what you were saying earlier, Kyle, in a way, we as the audience are kind of supposed to feel what Thor feels, I think, right? Where it's like, right. I, th- I think what the Russo brothers were telling us there is like, okay, if we gave you this movie here, like the expected movie, like you would be disappointed. Like you, you would, you know, it's like, so that, so to the people that are like, oh, well, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the kind of like final, you know, homage to Joss Whedon's Avengers that we would have wanted. I, I think that they're saying, well, yeah, I mean, if we had given you that, it would have kind of, it, it would have been hollow, but I think instead they give us something better. But all that to say, one of the things that I think I really appreciated about Endgame is that not only did it conclude Infinity War, which I think is all, to some extent, is all that was really expected of it, right? Like, you don't expect part two in in that movie to automatically conclude every other, you know, 21 films that came before it. Um, but I think what was really impressive is that even though there were such different tones in all those movies, I mean... Almost, you know, there had to be across all those films, what, like 13 or 14 different directors? Yeah, probably. And, you know, however many writers. And it's just, it's really impressive to me that they were able to go back in, you know, actually go back into some of the scenes from the movies. Like, I, I think that's what made the choice to go back into Thor, the Dark World, so interesting is because that's just like, almost universally seen as the weakest, if not, you know, one of the three weakest of the Marvel movies. And for them to even be able to go back into that and make some powerful moments, I think shows it, it's just, it's, that's true. It's really impressive. And I think it also shows that they have a lot of respect for what's come before. Like they're not coming in ripping up everything. Like, I think it right. maybe could have felt that way to some extent, but they right. didn't, you know what I mean? off topic a teeny bit but kind of paints that picture really well one of my favorite things about the movie rogue one from star wars was that was my ultimate compliment to it not to get into star wars but i felt like rogue one took the plot holes from the original trilogy and it actually makes the original trilogy better in hindsight totally agree like the, the movie enhances the original trilogy and that's like kind of an ultimate compliment that's an ultimate compliment i would have for endgame like Thor two isn't good, <laughs> but you're right. You're right though that like this movie makes some of the events of Thor two like more impactful. Right, and we've talked about that too. It's a, it's a it's an advantage that Marvel has, and that's that because no one's ever done this like long form twenty whatever five movies. How many is it? Uh, I think 20. Far From Home was twenty three. Okay, so because no one's really done that long of a story for the like for the Infinity Saga. You know, they have this advantage where we already inherently care about these characters. So even if you make a movie like Thor 2, as long as Endgame comes around and enhances Thor 2, it's more enjoyable now to go back and watch Thor 2 right? because we're so invested in the character of Thor and the other characters in the movie. Does that make sense? So like it almost grants them, like gives them a little leeway, if you will. Yeah, and I actually I think it's an awesome thing. <laughs> no, I absolutely agree because I mean even even I mean Endgame. Yeah, I, I watched Thor two not that long ago, 
And I watched it because... What is this, a Thor 2 podcast? What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's just, I'm going to spend the most time on the worst movie of all of them. Let's just devote this entire, not just episode, whole podcast, just to Thor yeah, 2. Yeah, Thor 2. Um, yeah. But no, it's... Dark a, world. <laughs> but I, I went back and rewatched it solely because Endgame makes you want to rewatch it. Like... Endgame plays with all of the, you know, everything about that movie that is really weak is it's a it's a lot of what they kind of go back in either in the scene on Asgard or like whenever Thor's giving his like presentation. Ooh, dark elves, scary. Right, right, right. Yeah. Where it's like it's great because like yeah, the problem with the, with that movie is like the villain was like a non-villain, like no one knew what he really wanted or like what the dark elves were, or like why any of it mattered, and so like just that one line in Endgame is like such a great way of kind of dealing with that without being t- it's not being too tongue in cheek. Endgame is the best example of this, but I think that's something that Marvel's done well for a bit now because even. The first Avengers, and you and I have talked about this, like, you know, whenever Thor and Captain America came out, I I liked them in some sense more than I thought that I would, but I was very, like, lukewarm about both movies. And then I saw the Avengers and liked both of those movies a lot more because I now, like, had a different perspective on the characters you know, and now we've talked about this, and this is something that that we disagree on. But the first Captain America, in light of kind of how that character has grown, is now one of my favorite Marvel movies. Oh boy! Okay. <laughs> so now let's talk about that instead of Endgame. Yeah, yeah. no, I want to. I want to talk about. You were saying, um, can we just talk about Thanos for a second, Robbie? You brought up <laughs> villains earlier from Thor two. Right. I love it so much. <laughs> Thor two. What the. No, 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 I hate it. No, Thanos, Thanos. No, what they did with him as a character, I, I've, I've just geeked out to you before about this yeah. a, a bunch. But, like, his lines are perfect. Obviously, they're epic. But, like, to give this character who, like, wants to kind of essentially reset the entire galaxy, but to give him, like, some, like, emotional, like, distress about it right to where like he's not just some like crazy guy he just has like a crazy idea that he believes in right but he's not some like bloodthirsty you know what i mean and right they i mean just, they set up they set his character up so well when you think about like back to infinity war the first thing they do when they show him is they're going to set the precedent that he is unbeatable you right. know by how easily he just destroys their entire ship, how easily he crushes Hulk. Right. And I think the whole point of that is to show you this is not going to be easy. That's a no stoned. Right. Oh no, that's a that's a what? That's a one stoned <laughs> uh, Thanos at the time. Right. But then you know he can still kick the crap out of the Hulk. Right. But then they go from that to like throughout the movie, giving him like this emotional core of Gamora and this like destiny he believes in. And then me and you have talked about the uniqueness of Endgame where. You get that five-year gap, and you see the like younger version of Thanos, and he's like a more ruthless, cold-blooded, yeah, yeah. less like destiny-filled. Oh, Thanos. I love it so much! I, just, I know I love everything about that, all the way down to his last line of "I am inevitable." Right, just a perfect right. conclusion to him and to, to, to Iron Man. Yeah, you know it's it's funny because I had a I had a friend 
at work the other day, and I swear I don't even bring these conversations up. This is, again, part of why I think this podcast has a place is because people just start having these conversations with me not even knowing that I'm a Marvel fan because everybody's just still reacting to that movie. And it's funny because he was like, ah, you know what I hated about Endgame is, is he thought that they hollowed out Thanos' character by I think what he was what he was getting at is that they had kind of like in Infinity War, they had set him up as this sort of quasi benevolent, you know, like overlord. And but that he like ultimately meant well. And then I think in the you know, in the last movie, he's now just like straight up evil, you know, classic evil villain was I think his critique. And I totally disagree with that. Because I think what they did is I think they played out the original Thanos' storyline perfectly. And in a way, he won, right? I mean, it's like he won an Infinity War. And then at the end, you know, if, in Endgame, whenever he dies, it's he's dying having accomplished his purpose. I mean, you don't get a sense that he's that he's really sad to go. Right. One thing I loved from the Infinity War commentary from the directors and the writers was exactly what you just said. When Infinity War ends, it's obviously this crazy, what we would call cliffhanger. And the director said, look, it's not a cliffhanger. It's just an ending you don't like. Right. Which is basically saying like, you know, they said that Infinity War was basically like Thor and Thanos' hero's journey. And Thanos, like, so, like, getting the picture of him at the end on his porch, looking out, smiling, looking at the sunset is not the ending we wanted, but it was so shocking. And it's just kind of a tie of, like, between that and Endgame, the character development you get even on Thanos is what makes him such a good villain, I think. Right. No, I I think, and, and I just, I love what they did because it's, like, the Thanos that we got in Guardians, even... Which I think that, again, talking about the Russo brothers having a lot of respect for the foundations that have been laid, like, the the Thanos that we got in Guardians was pretty vicious. The Thanos that we saw kind of alluded to in the first Avengers movie was pretty vicious. And then we get this Thanos that's, like, a little bit older, that has seen more, that's a little bit, you know, like, he... he is kind of at least giving off this kind of I'm I'm wiser energy. But I think that for them to go back a few years to the Thanos that is hungrier and and kind of like more raw made for this perfect confrontation at the end because it's like... And I also love the fact that you had Thanos with no Infinity Stones up against the three Avengers and he just like destroys them initially. They really do an amazing job of showing his strength. Right. Like I've talked to you before about how I like that. There's like different quote unquote power levels essentially. And through those like two movies, they basically make him inevitable. Like right. they, he's physically unstoppable. And I like how they do that. No, absolutely. I mean, I, stones are yeah. no stones. Right. Right. And I, and I love that because most of how we saw him fighting in an in Infinity War involved the Infinity Stones. Stones. Yeah. But I, I love like that's why I just think I, I think you're right. And I think the the complaint that I was mentioning earlier is, is wrong because I really think that that last chunk of Endgame is just is a perfect moment, a perfect culmination of of this kind of like good versus evil battle that has been really complex 
but is also like distilled into this great final climax. Right. So let's just rapid fire real quick. Some, I mean, we'll get into the crazy nitty gritty of Endgame when we do the rewatch. Right. But let's rapid fire some other things you loved. Okay. I loved how when Iron Man snaps and Thanos is the last to disappear. I love that. And I love that he doesn't have a line that he just like looks at his army has this like, I can't believe I lost look on his face and then disappears. Love that. Right. Right. No, I absolutely love that. There's no line there. I feel like that would be fitting to that moment. Right. Well, and yeah, I mean, similarly, you and I talked about this, but I really love that, that whenever Iron Man is dying, whenever Tony's dying, you know, he doesn't have a line other than just, you know, Hey Pep, when she walks up and then it's just like kind of him making eye contact with folks. I mean, it's like, and and the fact that you don't get, and it's just the only person talking is, is the other thing that I love is you only, the only people that are with Tony as he's going are Pepper, Rhodey and Peter. Okay, so we need to just talk about in general how Tony's death was perfect. I mean, not only does he die for all the right reasons, but even that, not having a line, just saying, hey, Pep. And then, of course, they do a good job of having Pepper be the one to be there, Rhodey to be the one to be there, Peter to be the one to be there. But then I love that they give you the subtle shot of Captain America and Thor, both with like tears in their eyes looking at it from afar. Right. That, to me, is like a perfect way to do that. Right. An acknowledgement, if you will. Right. No, absolutely. Because it's it's like a perfect representation of kind of what that relationship has been too. Because what I really appreciate and what I think makes what I think makes Endgame ultimately feel so good is that like the Avengers, like you see it for like a flicker in Age of Ultron, but it's like never been this it's never been a team that's been consistently working well together. That's true. Which I kind of love because like the way they set it up. It's dysfunctional. The, yeah. I mean, the way they set it up in the first, in the first movie is it's like, you know, whatever the, whatever Bruce Banner's line is where he's like, you know, this isn't a team. It's a time bomb. Well, and even after, even in Ultron, after uh, Scarlet Witch gets into their head, they still are dysfunctional. Right. They're arguing. Thor leaves like on his own without saying anything. You know. Right. I mean, and even and even during that opening scene of Age of Ultron, that's kind of supposed to show them at their peak. I mean, you still have elements of of like that's the flicker though. That's the flicker though. Totally. That's when you see it. I mean, you see it, but even then, you see the cracks of like okay, well, you know, like Tony's going in by himself and ends up like encountering Scarlet Witch and she gets in his head and that's where Ultron comes from. You see like Hulk having to deal with the repercussions of the battle and, you know, he's like on the plane still kind of like shell-shocked. So it's like, it's still the sense of like a very, like it's working. It's the most you see working together, but it's still kind of this cobbled together thing. And the reason that I point that out is I think I, I love like what you're referring to that the way that Thor and Cap are looking on at Tony, like it's, it's always been this, like this, like push and pull kind of a, like how close are they as characters? Like, I like that the movies aren't trying to show us like, Oh, well look, you know, like, like Thor and Cap are running up and like, and you know, hugging Tony or something as he's going, it's this like, it feels very appropriate for the relationship that they've given us. And again, it feels very like 
believable and it feels like the directors have cared about kind of the consequences of what's gone on in the movies prior. Well, and let's get into that then because it's kind of a thing I loved and it was kind of a thing I struggled with for a while. And that's what did you think of Tony and Cap in this movie? And then did you get the fulfillment you wanted? You know, because I think for a long time we kind of thought there was going to be this big reunion. They finally see each other again, a big hug. And then the more I thought about it, it's like maybe I wanted that, I thought, but it wouldn't be fitting. You know, from day one, these two guys have been at odds. Right. And I think on multiple rewatches that I I get enough of resolution between them two in those subtle moments like that where right. you know, Cap is on looking Tony's death or the, the handshake or do you right. trust me or the shield. So I think in hindsight, I got enough of it, but that moment of his death reminds me of that, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I think for me it was enough because... I mean, for the reasons you you just listed where it's like, I don't, I think it would have been, it, it wouldn't have felt genuine to me if they had had any more than that, because it, to some extent. They never have. Yeah. It would, be, it would have been out of place. Because it wasn't just Civil War, right? I mean, yeah, they've always kind of been at odds. And no, even Avengers 1, I mean, yeah. they're about to fight, you know. Yeah, I mean, and they never have really resolved anything. It's always just been like, okay, it gets put under the under the rug so that they can like deal with whatever like the more immediate issue is. Yeah, I think that I got the kind of resolution that that I needed. But, you know, well, and and you know, we got two of two of my favorite scenes we got because of that relationship. One was when he shows back up with the shield and he says the resentment, you know, is awful. I can't remember the exact quote, but that's a great, that's a great scene. But also, you know, we, maybe both of our favorite scenes is, is the opposite of that is the first reunion and that whole, you know, speech that Tony gives when he's sick about you weren't there liar. That's one of the best scenes in the movie. And that's pretty much, I love that scene. Yeah. So good. Right. And that pretty much just comes from, you know, this relationship we're talking about this, this years of damage that's happened pretty much. And in a weird way, I think I thought I wanted a hug between the two, but now in hindsight, that kind of scene was, was more fulfilling to me. Right. And the reason that I, the reason that I know that I didn't want a hug is because (laughs) I can give you you one. (laughs) No, no, this is the reason I I didn't want one. Um, It's because, you know, you mentioned this, Earlier to me, we were talking about this deleted scene that's come up um, that if you're listening, you can go and and Google and and find pretty quickly, I'm sure. But this scene of everybody, you know, on the battlefield, all the Avengers kneeling right after Tony dies. And I didn't like that scene because it didn't, it felt disingenuous. Like it just didn't feel like. Well, you know what they say about deleted scenes. They were deleted right. for a reason. Totally, <laughs> totally. But but that's my point, right? Is it's like if I feel like that's the same kind of like the feeling I have there where I'm like, okay, well, that's like a little too much, I think. I see what you're saying. Is how I would have felt if they had tried to like force this sort of like grand. I mean, because not only, right? Like not only did we get the the Tony and Cap, the, the do you trust me? Yes, I do moment. But also the you know them going back and doing the the like 70s trip together it's just like you get these kind of moments of sort of understated okay they're like working together again these are like the two team leaders that are kind of on the same page right like 
you know, going and doing like the Hail Mary. Right. And, and I think that's everything we needed. And I loved it. And I thought that it was, yeah, I thought it was, it, it was so, maybe this is my final, my final thought on this. What I think is the most impressive thing about this movie, they somehow created a movie that simultaneously pushed these characters and these stories to places that we never would have expected them to go and to surprise us and to, to bring in these like crazy twists and to just like stretch a lot of what we thought the MCU was while also paying ultimate fan service. Oh, and so many moments. Giving us all this payoff, you know, and I think that like, I, I don't know, it's not something to be taken lightly because I think that's a really, really difficult thing to do. And I think you can see that. That's so true. It pushes the boundaries of these characters, takes them to places you didn't think would happen, all the while giving us the closure on all the characters from yeah. all the other movies. That is crazy. I mean, it's, yeah. Let's just, I need to fanboy for a second because I'm, I'm kind of missing the fact that this movie was so good and there were so many good parts. Like, I didn't realize it was going to be as funny as it was. There were so many funny parts. I caught a line the other day. I didn't even hear the first few times, and that's when, when uh, Scott comes back as a baby, and they're like, that's Scott. And he's like, as a baby. And then you hear Hulk say, he'll grow. <laughs> like, that's his answer. There's so many funny lines, but then there's this heart, there's so many heartfelt lines. You know, you get the right. reunion of Tony and his dad, and that's such a cool right, conversation. Right, and when he And when he hugs his dad and says, thank you for all you've done, and then he pauses, for this country. Right. Like, so many heartfelt moments, so many funny moments, and then just the, the action scenes. Like, we talked about, you know, we haven't had too many fights of this scale yet, so to have a fight of this scale, the visuals that they accompanied with that are so cool. Like the visual part of it, when Captain Marvel flies through the ship, that oh, visual, man. the visual yeah. of, 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 of uh, Cap facing the army, the visual of everyone coming out of the portals, obviously. And then there's just so many things about this movie I loved. Also, right. Robbie, underrated, like the score. We're music guys. Oh, We're my musicians. Gosh. The score was so good. The real hero, Portals, you know, the How Works, all these songs are unbelievable and Snap so out of fitting. It. Yeah. Like, how good is that portal scene without that song, you know? And to finally, like, just right when he yells, Avengers Assemble to hit us with that theme. Oh, like, my gosh. I know I'm fanboying at this point, but, dude, it gives me chills thinking about how much I loved so much of these movies, you know? I mean, sorry, so much of this movie in particular. Yeah. Yeah, like, it was just like you said, it advanced the characters and gave uh, it fulfilled everything I wanted as far as news plotline stuff. I couldn't guess advancing the story, but then it gave me all the fulfillment of like rewarding me for watching all the other movies. You know, it's perfectly fitting that Avengers Endgame ends with the scene of Steve finally getting to dance with Peggy because on the next episode, we are going to start our rewatch by going back and watching Captain America, the first Avenger. You know, it's funny. Obviously, the first Marvel movie that came out was Iron Man in 2008. But as we were saying earlier, I think that as we're rewatching these, especially with Endgame in mind, it's it's kind of fun to maybe figure out if there is a, a more optimal viewing order. And so after we've talked, we actually think that the best movie to start with is Captain America. I think that's where a lot of the seeds for the Marvel Universe begin. It's obviously the earliest film chronologically. And so that's something that you know we'll kind of be testing out as we're watching. And we're looking forward to hearing your feedback as well as just your you know, general thoughts on the film, you know, kind of watching it in retrospect. 
So in these upcoming episodes, we're going to be going back and re-watching through all these movies in the order that we actually think tells the best narrative for these characters. So be sure to join us next time on the Friends from Work podcast as we review Captain America 1, The First Avenger. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you all. Thanks, everybody.